Okay, everybody ready to start the new campaign? You betcha, sure am. Perfect. Okay, so before we begin, uh, before we begin, I just want to make sure that everybody read the primer. The the what now? Well, like the the primer, you know, like uh, so uh, the document that I sent out last week that had like a lot of the history of the game world and everything. Oh, yeah, I didn't open that. You didn't? Uh, well, okay, that's okay. Um, I printed out copies for everyone, so I guess this is where we're going to start the session today. Then, I I thought you said this was a primer. It is. It's a primer for the the world. No, no, no. This, this is a novel. Well, hold on. That's just the book on government. This next one is for the religious groups. And I didn't realize I was signing up for a night class. This time on Becoming DM, we're talking about making exposition interesting and fun for your players. Hey everyone, this is John. And this is Danielle. And as we just said, we are talking about an exposition, how to make it more interesting, how to make it more fun, how to make it just a better part of your game. Um, uh, because when you create a game world, there's going to be stuff that your characters probably already know about the world. It's it's not like they were just born into this world and know nothing, Right. Oh yeah, definitely. And it's it's they've existed in this world for I don't know how old is are, are, like are their characters? Are they 14? Are are they an elf or like a half elf and they're like 300 years old? That's 300 years of knowledge that you got to be ready for. Yep. And and so and, and these things are things that the players are not going to know. So you do need to kind of think about how you're going to get that information to them. So sometimes it, it might, and also addition, in addition to that, it might be something that they learn along the way. So uh, maybe their character didn't know it at the beginning, but they, they find something and they, or they hear something and they learn about the world uh, parts that they didn't know about that, that maybe have a, a rich backstory to it maybe, right? Oh, yeah. Well, that's I feel like that's also just like a natural part of any sort of adventuring, you know, because you'll come across uh, like ruins or something. You're like, what is this? And then you find out, you know, who used to live there, why they used to live there. It's not like everybody's always like, oh, no, no, no. That's the ruins of Tom. And <laughs> and, and they they lived there 200 years ago. It's fine. Just don't worry about it. Everybody remembers that. You don't know Tom? <laughs> <laughs> So part of the reason that we're doing this episode is because um, I firmly believe that how you tell players about what they know and what they learn is just as important as what you tell them. Because if you um, if you don't tell them in a way that is engaging, that's fun, it's it's not going to be great for the game, right? Oh, if you like doing exposition wrong, um, can be just a, just so demoralizing. I'm going to use the word demoralizing because not only is it, it, it can be so intensely boring for your players. <laughs> Anybody who's ever accidentally written too much exposition has seen their players <laughs> at that, at that breaking point where you're like, Oh, I did too much, but you're not done yet. So you keep going. 
Um, everybody's seen that, but it's also demoralizing, like as the DM, because you've put in all this time and effort. Um, but then <clears throat> when you see that breaking point happen with your players, that sucks. It doesn't feel good because I think push comes to shove. All DMs are kind of like, we want them to have fun. That's, that's the point of it. And when you can, when you can actively see them not having fun from something that you put a lot of work into, that sucks. Yep. And, and I think that when you've got these, these, uh, this text that you've written that you're really excited about and you see them zoning out, you know, there are just <laughs> going to be parts that they are going to ignore. There are going to be parts that, that they're just like, yeah, that's not important. And, and to be honest, if, if a player is new to your game world and you're just getting into it and you're throwing a bunch of stuff on it, they're going to try to figure out what is important and what is not. And they're going to try to remember the important stuff and forget the not important stuff. But because they're new, they don't know which is which, right? Well, especially with, with it also depends like how long has the campaign been going on? Yep. Um, I like just a couple of weeks ago, I had a new player join my campaign, an active campaign that's been going for two and a half years. <coughs> and, uh, and I was like, Ooh, I don't, I don't really want to tell you everything that's happened. It's all important to a certain degree, but I mean, you're just going to leave and never come back. <laughs> <laughs> and so you have to make very specific choices about what to tell people and when. And uh, uh, as far as my case, just as a sideline, uh, for for my new players, I do actually just have a full write-up that they can just review whenever they want. It's a lot, though. Yeah. yeah. And. So we we had this kind of skit at the beginning, and while while we definitely try to add a little bit of humor into it, it does very much mirror um, more than one experience that I've had playing at someone else's table, where I got there, um, we we maybe had a session zero to talk through characters and stuff, and then between session zero and session one, they sent this email that had like four word docs attached and <laughs> it was like here's the history of the realm here's the government here's the the religious uh uh the gods that are involved here and there was one other thing which i'm not going to remember now and i i will tell you that every single person showed up to session one having not looked at those <laughs> and you could see the the look in the DM's eyes, like this was this was like the the new game for him. He'd been working on it for a while, and it was just it was disheartening, um, because we looked at all these things and went like, I don't have time to read the, this twenty pages of exposition before the next game. <laughs> well, it would feel like a night class, you know, yeah, like being assigned homework like that. Uh, that kind of sucks. I mean, I understand it because sometimes, sometimes it just kind of has to happen, but um, it's painful. It can feel a little bit painful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and so I, I think that all of this is important because if you can make it interesting and memorable, then that means that, that first off, the work that you're doing as a DM is, is being uh, consumed, appreciated, and you don't have to have that disheartening feeling of like, I did all this work and nobody even bothered to look at it. Uh, but also, 
you don't have to keep repeating yourself because if if the players are engaged in it, they are a lot more likely to remember the stuff. And and so you're not going to have to two weeks down the road. Well, yeah, you remember the 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 temple was long ago abandoned by the worshippers of Azathul or or whoever. Um, uh, I told you this two weeks ago. I don't know why I have to tell you again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it can definitely get to be a little bit of a problem if, if players aren't remembering um, all the different important tidbits of your exposition. Uh, because then you do, you end up having to repeat a bunch, like over and over and over again. And then you start getting into this cycle of like little mini exposition dumps every session to kind of like remind everybody what's important. Yep. Yeah, it's it's exhausting. So before we talk about some techniques to make the exposition uh, more interesting, let's maybe talk about some preparation. So Danielle, if you don't mind, I'm going to have you kick us off in this part and tell us like some things that we should be asking ourselves in order to get prepared for the exposition. I feel like one of the most important questions that you can ask yourself when you're when you're sitting down to like do up your exposition is is it important, right? That's like a super I know it sounds kind of like that, but it is a really important question. Is it important to the game? So as much as it's super important to the NPCs who run around your little world that uh, that gophers are poisonous, that's fine. That's super <laughs> important to them and their day-to-day life. But the chances of that impacting the PCs directly, immediately, probably pretty low, probably doesn't need to be added. Something you can have a random NPC say when they're having, you know, dinner. It's like, where's Tom? Well, he died from a gopher bite. And then, boom, that exposition is in there, and it wasn't part of the dump. And so you really have to look for your, like, I mean, you you should add a little bit of flavor, right? You know, get a little bit in there, but for the most part... Um, when you're doing like, well, I feel anyways, when you're doing like your primary, um, exposition at the beginning of a game, I guess even sometimes in the middle, but is it, is it important to what's happening? What's going on? Is it relevant to your players? Does it have a bearing on the storyline? And I agree. Having flavor in your game is, is I think important too, but it doesn't have to be included as a as an exposition dump. It can be included as like little clues that you that you include in descriptions and stuff like that. And we're going to talk a lot about how 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 to do these expositions without it being a, a dump to keep on using that term here in just a minute. <laughs> um, and and part of that is going to be if you've got exposition that is adding flavor, there are ways to there are ways to add that in without making taking a huge chunk out of the start of your session. Oh, absolutely. You can make it a lot more interesting and uh, keep that buy-in high because that's that's our goal. Yep. I, I think that the other thing to to ask is how does it apply to the characters? And I, I say that because when something if something is important to the whole game, that's one thing. But if something is important to the individual characters, um, that can, again build that buy-in it can make them more excited they can actually pay more attention if it's if it's a personal uh, exposition um but you have to ask yourself how is it related is it just like oh you, you like your your cat died five years ago um you didn't really like him so you didn't care well th- it's <laughs> probably not worth having exposition on that but if there's something that's that's big that's a big part of the world that has impacted um the character 
then then I think it's it's easier to to pull that in and and make sure that you're including that in exposition. Right now, we're kind of talking about like what gets included and what get, gets dropped from this uh, exposition that we're doing, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you need to kind of flesh it out. How I I do have a question. I'm just going to throw this in here. How long, like, if you're setting up a campaign, how long do you make your your exposition? Um, it'll depend on. The game, the session, stuff like that. So, uh, I I recently started running a new game with uh, with largely new players, and the initial exposition exposition that I had for them was, you live on this island, um, centuries ago. Uh, it was part of a of a greater land, but there was a there was a conflict between gods. Something happened, and the rest of the land went away. And that's all you know, and and that was all the exposition that I really had for them at that <laughs> point, um, because that was that was I, I I just wanted to kind of set a tone that like hey you're on this island and it and there used to be other stuff but it's it's not here anymore, um, <laughs> because that does play into into some of the the plot hooks that I have uh, if they choose to to pursue them, and to a certain degree that would apply to them. Um, you know, personally, because, you know, how many people did they know that are now gone? How many places can they not go? Right. Maybe. Yes. Uh, well, it was long well, enough ago. Was that, the island? Yeah, it, it was a fairly large island, um, like 50 miles across or so. But it was um, it was long enough ago that uh, that that even though those long lived races um, have forgotten about it. And there's, there's some undercurrents of, of why that is that they don't know yet. But, uh, but yeah, the, the, the thing is that, that people don't know the details and, and so they don't, they don't really actually remember if they had friends that, that disappeared as part of that. I'm going to say, I'm just going to interject on my own interjection that that's actually like such a good, like little exposition because after you said it, like a hundred questions popped into my head and I was like, I was like, I need answers. And I was ready to just like don my armor and <laughs> charge off into the unknown. <laughs> so uh, that, you know what, that's, that's a good, that's a really good example because that's, that's kind of like the goal that we're after is to get people, you know, pumped to do the quest. Right. And, and this was really part of session zero. I, I said there was few sentences and then I said, all right, great. I'll see you at the next session. And like everybody was like, "What? We're stopping now?" And that was the thing that told me like <laughs> this was exactly the right thing to do, uh, because the next session they showed up and they were all like super excited to get started. Oh yeah, no, I could see that. That was great. I like that. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. So I think like on the on the other personal stuff, um, it could it could be related to the kingdom that they're in or the quests that they're on or maybe they have a specific religion or something to do with their race maybe there's like an enslavement of the of the halflings or something like that there's a lot of different things that can be can make something personal and i think um if you're able to tie some of that exposition to that that character and what makes it personal to them um it it can it can help it can help you with that. But again, these are, these are questions you have to ask yourself about what's being exposed um, and, and whether it does apply towards that. Mm-hmm. Not to mention that if you're going to add personal uh, flair to like personal, as far as the PC goes, flair to your exposition, that also means that you're going to need character backgrounds. 
Absolutely. Um, yeah, because, I mean, you can't really do that without them. Otherwise, you're just writing people's backgrounds for them. And I don't know many players who enjoy that. There's some out there, but yeah, I agree. I was going to say, yeah, I, I do know one. I know one, and if I wrote her character background, she'd be like, oh, sweet, that's perfect. And, uh, and she'd just, tra-la-la, and she'd be fine with it. But most other people would just be like, no, I wanted to collect flowers. I don't know. Um, so I, I think a good rule of thumb, because I, I asked you how much exposition that you give. Um, but another thing is, like, when you're thinking about how much exposition to give, uh is how much, like, I, I don't think that you would need to give more exposition than they would need for, like, the next, say, three sessions. Because in mm-hmm. three sessions, you should be able to kind of feed extra exposition in. Um, so, like, with your with your example that you gave before, like, you gave just enough. Just enough to get people, like, like biting to, like, want to know more. Like, fill their head with questions. Um, get them after figuring something out. And uh, But if you give them more than what they need for, like, three sessions, I, I think that that's when things can kind of start to become overwhelming or left behind. Yeah, and, and I think that, that on average, if you, tell, um, if you tell a group, here's some information, and you don't do anything with it for three sessions they're probably not going to remember it. So so really, you've wasted yours and their time telling this to them if you're not going to use that within the next three ses- sessions. So if it's not going to ha- impact those, I would say wait. Um, if you can... If you can split it off whatever else you need to give them, wait and like give that rest of that to them later. Absolutely. Yeah. I kind of think of it as... Uh, I don't know. Maybe this is just a weird thing to say, but like Chekhov's gun, right? If there's a gun on the on the mantle, then it has to be within the next X amount of scenes because it's mm-hmm. relevant. Right. I, I, I think that's how that works. I might be wrong. Uh, maybe I shouldn't have said it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's a it's a new term for me, so so I'm going to say you were right. <laughs> oh yes. Then uh, if yeah, that was actually my own creation, um, and I'm just calling it Chekhov's gun because uh, that's my nickname. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. It could also be really bad. I don't know. Have you ever finished running a session of your favorite role-playing game and thought to yourself, I'm not really sure I ran that the right way? Or maybe you just tried out something new in your game and it worked really well and you want everybody to know about it. If so, you may have the perfect idea for a future episode of Becoming DM. Point your browser to becomingdm.com slash ideas and fill out our simple form to tell us all about it. You can even let us know that you'd like to be a a guest co-host for the topic. Submitting your ideas helps John and Danielle relieve pressure on their brains so they can record more episodes. Go to becomingdm.com slash ideas today to submit your episode idea. Now let's get back to the show. you want to get into actually making exposition more interesting get into the fun meat and potatoes yeah and and before we get into like the exposition part of it i I want to share a little bit of a story um actually from my work life uh Mm. i i went to this this training thing that was talking about how to better talk to customers and, and there was an interesting thing that was said and i think it applies to exposition here as well 
that when you're talking to somebody and they said customer, where I'm going to say somebody, you're talking to somebody, your players, they are going to remember the first thing you said and the last thing you said, and they're probably going to forget the stuff in the middle. Uh, <laughs> so okay. as we go through this, some of the techniques that, that, that we're going to talk about, about how to make exposition more interesting are going to help with that because there there's ways to make it where the middle is a lot smaller and the, the beginning and end are, are more impactful and stuff like that. And we'll, we'll talk about that, but to, to, so remember that as we go on, uh, but to get, get started, <laughs> I think that, I think that you do need to remember some of your basic DM skills. So, um, vivid descriptions, for instance, you need to make sure that if you're describing something that you're using your, your descriptive words and, and you're, you're doing stuff more than just like, this is what it looks like. If there's a texture, a taste, uh, if you're going to taste the exposition, uh, a smell or whatever, <laughs> um, that, that helps kind of expand that exposition, uh, make sure to keep that. And if you missed it, uh, episode 45, we did an episode on improving your descriptions. So if you want to check that out, becomingdm.com slash EP 45. You know, I like that. Um, I think that somebody somewhere, uh, maybe one of the listeners should just write an exposition, um, that is solely based around taste, and, <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then just like like tweet that, and uh, and that will be good. Um, yeah. So vivid descriptions, obviously. Yeah, you want you want your descriptions dripping with um, descriptions. Ah, that was bad. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the other thing is uh, is like emotional impact. Right, because mm-hmm. we use this in in a lot of other areas in in D and D as well. Because, like I've said, I th- I think pretty much all the time. But um, character buy in or player buy in, yep. you need them to to kind of hop on board with that. And a really great way and kind of easy way to do that is with emotional buy in. We're we're emotional creatures. We we have emotions. We like emotions. That's how we kind of interact with our world, and that's how you can get them to interact with with the. Uh, with your role play world, right? And so if you give this exposition and it's got some sort of emotional impact, some way that you can pull them in with, you know, like uh, joy or sadness, anger or love, you know, like the big emotions mm-hmm. and just thread that into there. If you can, if you can pull somebody into that, um, you, you basically got them. Yeah, and I think that um, I think we've talked about this some. One of the things that I like to do with with players is is to like have them tell me what their character's motivations are. What's your motivations? What are the things you you won't do to pursue those motivations? That that line you won't cross. Um, also, going beyond that, what are the things that that you that makes your character happy and and really upsets your character? And and if they're willing to give you this information, it makes it a lot easier to tie in <laughs> to those emotions. And and most character, most players I've had are like, oh yeah, I'll tell you all this stuff. Um, and then I'm like, ha 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 ha. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but I, I do think that I do think that that having that information makes it easier to tie in some of the things that you're you're building into that emotion, and again, make them more likely to buy into it and, and really have a have a reason to pay attention 
Especially when, when your players have, have made their backstory themselves, right? Because anybody who's ever written a backstory is like, oh, yeah, I grew up on a farm. And, uh, well, who was there? And as they start to picture themselves more and more as they write their backstory, that's how you basically, like, make your character, right? Yep. And after they've put all of this time and effort into, like, building this, and then you take it and you use it, and especially if you can get it to, like, before your session zero so that you can drop that... Um, and blend it in with your with your exposition. I think that that would be really powerful and uh, really nice. Yep. And another thing that you can do is is props. And and <laughs> you know I love a good prop. Uh, the 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 thing about it is if if you have the right thing to hand off to the players, it can tell so much more in so many fewer words than you telling a story about the artifact or whatever you can give them a, 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 a piece of thing that is the artifact. And, and yeah, you can give them a few details about it um, as they're looking at it that, that maybe are not reflected in the proper, whatever, like it, it has this glowing aura or whatever, but by doing that, you give the, the players the opportunity to explore the exposition themselves. Like, oh, hey, there's an inscription on the back here and it says this. Well, it's the same thing as reading something, but but they discovered it and they read it and they they then included that as, as their observation. So um, there's a lot of ways that you can use props to do this. Um, I, I know I've talked about notes and letters. I, I I enjoy using notes and letters, but the thing that you have to make sure that you're you're doing is that you're not just taking that that tome of exposition that we talked about at the beginning and then making it a letter because that doesn't do you any good. I, I kind of my kind of rule of thumb for letters and notes is is at at most three paragraphs, but usually limited to two paragraphs or less because that's mm-hmm. something easy to read. It's quick and and they can make their own inferences based upon what's written what's written. I think uh, my favorite uh, piece of exposition that I ever did um, that included a note or a letter, um, I literally, I had them printed out. I made them. It was adorable. Uh, So we did our session zero. And at the end of our session zero, I was like, okay, you know, exposition time. Let's, let's, you know, do 30 minutes of this before the end of the night. And so I kind of gave a brief description. I was like, oh, you're in this small little town, blah, blah, blah. You're doing your... And I'm wandering the local market or whatever. And uh, and then I said, a small page boy walks up to you and hands you this. And so I handed um, something to each of the players. And my description was exactly that long. It was not long. Mm-hmm. And what each of the players received was uh, a ticket to a play that was happening the next night. Nice. And uh, they're like, oh, that's neat. And so they all got this ticket to go to a play. And I was like, yay, everybody's got this ticket. You're in this town. You're exploring this town for like two seconds. And then all of a sudden somebody screamed and, oh, the actors at the play are dead. Oh, no. And uh, and so, but there was this, there was, there was more to it. It was like a murder mystery thing. But it was nice because they had, they each had a ticket. The tickets had clues on them already. Oh, nice. Um, right. And so, and they had a list of uh, actors and actresses, right? Like the pamphlet that goes with it. And uh, it, it worked out really good um, because everybody really, I, people just like it when you hand them something. Right. Then yeah, they just it, have it's it. something that they can look at, they can turn over in their hands. It's just, it's, 
I find it a lot of fun to not only to to be a player that gets a prop, but also to be the DM that watches the players with the props that you've developed because I think that's really cool. Uh, oh, it's the best. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think moving on from there, another way that you can kind of impart some of this exposition is through rumors. I love having rumors in my game, partly because I can I can give little bits of exposition that are not more than like a couple of sentences, an uttered phrase or, or something like that, that they overhear somebody talking in a bar or in a conversation with a drunk patron. But my favorite part of it is that the rumors don't have to be completely true. Uh, I, I do like to make sure that there's some kernel of truth in there, but... I, I have some things that are unclear as to whether they're true or not, and I also have some things that are blatantly false that anybody anywhere could say, that is such a lie, because then it makes the, the players kind of question, well, is all of this false? Is some of it false? And and it has this little thing that they have to kind of do a mental exercise to to figure out whether or not this exposition is is really true. I'm going to add like a little caveat here with with because this like uh, if you if a portion of something is false or potentially misleading like the whole red herring thing, mm-hmm. um, I love this. I love doing this, and uh, I think it's fabulous. My current campaign, I cannot do it. I'm not allowed to do it. Um, <laughs> Why because, not? <laughs> because, because I don't know what it is with my current table, but absolutely everything that I say. They believe with one hundred percent truth, <laughs> and like I've I've tried, and at one point in time, not a word of a lie. They're in like a totally normal place. Everything's super normal, and uh, some drunk guy at a bar was like, "There's talking fish in the river," and immediately my entire party just piled into the river to go <laughs> find talking fish, and like the guy was was, was like super trashed and it was so obviously just him being drunk and just something funny like i was just trying to like build like an environment in the bar so there was a lot of other things said but this one ridiculous thing that this guy said and then pretty soon my entire party was in the river and i was like you guys like there's there's not actually fish (laughs) like the talk you gotta get out of the river go (laughs) go back to what you're doing (laughs) and uh, so my my only word of caution is that uh I haven't figured out how to make my players distrust me, um, and I'm sure that there's a way. But but uh, be a little bit cautious with with half truths and whole lies, uh, because it can very quickly uh, completely derail all the other hard work that you've put in, and end up with a party splashing around in a river looking for talking fish. Well, and and I would say I would give kind of the advice on the other side of the spectrum is that if you're going to include lies and half-truths, don't do it too frequently because you have the, depending upon the group, you have the opposite thing happening where everything the DM says must be a lie. So we're going to spend an hour debating about whether this two-sentence phrase really means anything (laughs) and derails the game that way. So there there are... are, uh, potential pitfalls uh, either direction that you go with that. That's <laughs> so true. So be careful. As with a lot of things when you're a DM is uh, we walk a fine line of uh, 
you know, trying just not to go too far on one side or the other. So just trying to keep keep hold of the reins, everybody. Just just hold on tight. And yep. Just keep going straight. Yeah. Um, so I think moving on, the the next thing is uh, is kind of creating holes in the no- in in the character's knowledge that might be feel- filled later. And I alluded to this earlier with with my opening story um, about the rest of the land went away. They don't know why. And and so having that hole in the knowledge means that I can fill that in with little bits of exposition later. I can also decide maybe what I had originally planned really didn't work and what the players are talking about and theorizing is better. And I can fill it in that way. Um, Oh, I love doing that. Yeah. Uh, any, any, do you have any good examples of, of where you've kind of created those holes of knowledge, uh, as you've done exposition? Uh, I think my favorite knowledge hole exposition was, uh, I was starting a level one campaign and, uh, all of my players, uh, so I had, you know, they're rough backgrounds and everybody's level one, so it's nothing too, too crazy. Right. And, uh, all of them woke up in cages, right. Mm-hmm. Having forgot like the last um, two months or whatever of their existence. Wow. Um, yeah. And so then it immediately, they all had to work together in order to escape, uh, which was good because it created like a bonding experience with them, but they all had this huge gap of knowledge of this, this two months and like mysterious marks on their bodies. And they, they had to figure all of that stuff out and find out exactly what happened to them and where they were. Nice. Um, and and I think that that with a lot of the things that we're talking about today, they can be combined together to work really well together. Because in addition to the creating uh, holes in our knowledge, breaking breaking the exposition into pieces, which kind of feels like you're you're maybe creating the holes in the knowledge. But but um, back to what we were saying earlier about only giving them what's needed for the next three episodes. So if you can chunk that out, you're not necessarily having a a mystery with a hole, but you're saying like, here's the piece that you need right now. And as you move forward, I'm giving you more and a little bit more here and a little bit more here. But I think breaking it into pieces is is super important um, so that you don't have a a session that just feels like you're lecturing on the the wonderful world that you've created. (laughs) Definitely. And not to mention the fact that when players, um, you can use exposition as a reward if if you keep it interesting. <laughs> yep. Um, and then kind of like having your players find the breadcrumbs. And I think like the breadcrumb analogy, you have like a bird or something and it just like picks up each piece as it moves along. And if you put too many pieces out, you just have a whole flock of birds come down. They take them all away. But if you're just feeding one bird, it'll just keep following. Yep. And uh, it's kind of to that, I think that that like feeds really nicely into the next thing that we were going to talk about is that the knowledge that the that the characters gain could actually be a reward for something that they're doing in game. Right. Oh, absolutely. You can definitely use um, the exposition as a reward. Like, like I said two seconds ago, as long as it's not super boring, um, it has. If you're going to use it as a reward, it has to feel like a reward. You can't just be like, "Ha ha!" Now sit there and listen. Yeah. Um, so what what I like to do is is I like to combine the the reward with the with the breaking it into pieces, and and I've had something where the players have gotten involved in a. 
some sort of a game. There's somebody that that wanted that they know has information that they need, um, but he wants to play a game of some sort. And the game could be whatever is most interesting to your your players to play. Um, but I, I would break it up into stages. So so maybe I broke it up into five different stages where where the game evolves over the stages. But like if the players win in the first stage, they get a little piece of it. And if they win in the second stage, they get a little piece. And if they don't win in the third, well, sorry, you don't get that piece of information. Let's move on. Uh, fourth one, fifth one. And, and so by the end of it, um, you, you, you actually can, you can do like several techniques. You've given them a reward for uh, competing in and winning these games. Uh, you've you've uh, made it into, broken it into smaller pieces and then if they're not winning games, you've created holes in knowledge uh, that, that so it all kind of comes together uh, that way. That's that's something I've done a couple of times. And I thought it was it was pretty fun because the, the players actually got real interested, not only in like finding the information, but they're like, oh, we got to win this game. Come on, guys, get together and, and do these things so we can win the game. I, I You know, I feel like I can see how that would work out really good, especially then. Um, they it gives them like a little bit of agency in in gathering those pieces, right? Yep. And not not to mention the fact that <laughs> then the hole in their knowledge is their own fault, <laughs> right? <laughs> and Which, uh, is enjoyable. Yeah, and and like I said, you can make that that game be whatever you want. So if if your players are like really heavy into combat and that's what they want to do, you can make some like an arena style combat thing uh, where if they if they lose, they don't die. But 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 they obviously did not win. They're knocked unconscious. And when they wake back up, he's like, ah, you you lost or whatever. Um, But it could also be be a riddle. It could be uh, games of skill. Uh, it could be puzzles. Uh, again, keep in mind what what works for your players and and leverage that. Yeah, you really want to play to your players' uh, preferences. I was going to say strengths, but I think preferences is better. Yeah. And uh, um, just if you're ever like, sometimes I have I wonder about uh, people. I I read about people struggling with finding that balance between their players. Um, but I just, if I have four players and two of them are super into combat, one's into exploration and one's into riddles, uh, then I just make 50% of the game combat, 25%, you know, roughly, right? I'm not saying yep. all of it, but uh, easy to find a balance that way. So you don't, you don't like look at your watch and be like, all right, guys, we got to wrap this combat up. Uh, it's been 50% of the time now. So they all die. Let's time. move on. <laughs> <laughs> You just have all the creatures turn into the Riddler <laughs> and just, you know, just move on. <laughs> yeah. So what else do we have? Um, well, another fun thing is to have them, ha- like have the, the the PCs or, you know, the them uh, step into the exposition. Now, this is this is a real fun one, but I think I feel like a little bit more work for the DM. Mm-hmm. So it- if you're giving. Oh, no. Go ahead. Oh, okay. I was just going to say, if you're giving them information about something that happened, say, I don't know, a long time ago, um, you can kind of each have uh, have each one of your players uh, temporarily play a role. Obviously, this would be like a like uh, kind of a very railroady thing. Yep. 
right? Because it, this is still your backstory, your exposition. So you can't just be like, oh, oh, you killed the big bad when he was a small child. Oh, <laughs> well, I guess the campaign's over. Um, but so you would have to have the whole thing on rails. Uh, but you wouldn't really be info dumping like you kind of would be, but you would they would be there and they would be kind of experiencing the lore firsthand, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I think that um, I think that this can frequently work. You can make it work for whatever group, but I think that it can frequently frequently work better for groups that are super into role play because you can have the role play feel a little less railroady because they're acting as part of this character, but they're also kind of figuring out who this character is because you're just kind of dropping them into the scene. But you can have the NPCs that are that they're interacting with um, be like, "No, sir, you don't want to do that. We have to get away from this or or whatever." And and so kind of they're the the NPCs are kind of um, steering, but ultimately the 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 player still makes the choice. Um, you just as, as you said before, it, it does require additional work to do this and you do have to really understand what the results that you're looking for are and make sure that you are constantly steering the ship in the direction of the results that you're looking for but i think it's one of those things that can be really memorable for the players because not only are they getting exposition but they were in it they were they were the king in that or they were the evil sorcerer or whatever uh so they they quote unquote made some of the decisions as part of the exposition yeah, and you could do this as like uh like they touch a crystal ball sort of thing, like mm-hmm. as soon as they start or you know, however you want to do that. Um you were speaking about like uh you know, the king or like a servant talking to the king and being like, No, sir, you don't want to do that. Something that I always pay attention to when I'm watching uh T V shows, especially like the first episode of any T V show you've ever seen, that is a great place to get resource ideas for for doing introductions like that because mm-hmm. you'll they introduce a new character and this new character comes in and they they don't like put a sign on them that says i'm the sir roderick of effingham brother, right and yeah. they don't just put that sign on you'll just have somebody walk through and be like oh i can't believe that you did that i remember when you did that when we were young and dad was like why you do that and so you're like oh okay so they were young together they're calling the same person dad these are siblings and at, if you watch like the first episode of a show, it's, yep. uh, I think it really highlights how to do that quite well in most of them, anyways. Yeah, I, I think that's a that's a great point. Or if you have a, a show that just keeps on introducing new characters, like uh, <laughs> like Game of Thrones or something like that, then then yeah, uh, any of any episode will work. <laughs> yeah, just just pick one. <laughs> um. I think that that kind of related to that is um, is the concept of of having some sort of player agency involved in in the uh, creation of the exposition. And you kind of came up with this one. So I'd like to have you uh, kind of explain this one a little more too, if you if you don't mind. Yeah, you bet. When when we were talking about writing this episode, I uh, I kind of just had this idea, and I don't. <laughs> I think it's fun, um, but I've never I've never tried this. I just I really want to try it since I thought about it. But I'm calling it uh, invisible rails was my thing. So above or before we had talked about, uh, you know, having the players play these. Uh, so it's like you're the king for a day kind of thing in this memory type sequence. 
But in in this, I was thinking like if you're just doing like your basic exposition dump and and but not like a full dump and and so I'd be telling my players it's like so um, the the king of the land he noticed that this bad thing was happening and that bad thing was happening and he had to choose whether to go to the lake or to the mountain for whatever reason, but then toss that at your players and and ask them be like. What should the king choose and sort of build up the exposition with them? And I'm not talking about in character because before we were talking about in character, mm-hmm. I'm talking about literally just asking your players, where do you guys think that he should go? And uh, kind of just building up the exposition in that way. I think uh, I think it could turn into some interesting results as well as maybe be a little bit fun. Yeah, I kind of like look a, at it when you when you yeah. mentioned it to me. I, I kind of felt like it was almost like a choose your own adventure book where where you've got um, like a little bit of exposition and then and then the players can choose from a couple of options. It's not as wide yeah. open as as them playing their character, but they can still say like, I want them to go to the mountain pass or I want them to go to the forest, and and based upon that, you kind of build the story. You still end up with your same exposition that you want to have it's just i think it feels like more of the flavor of the story is is defined by by the players is that accurate yes that's uh that those choose your own adventure novels i i love those and that's exactly what i was thinking about where you get to like the bottom of a page and it's like you know you get two options go to page 14 or 82 you know yep and uh and I don't know. I only ever had one of those books and I died every time I read it. So, <laughs> <laughs> but I still had a lot of fun. I I think I attempted to read that book like eight times. Um, you didn't, you didn't like do what I did and map it out. Like write down what oh, this one you die. So you have to go this one. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was like, like way too young to even be reading the book. If I'm being honest, <laughs> like it was way out of my skill level and my age range. Um, it was, but it was about dinosaurs. And so, I was trying. Cool. <laughs> Not cool. <laughs> um, but yeah, choose choose at your own exposition. You, at the time, you probably probably thought it was really cool. Oh, it was so cool. I still think it's cool. Um, <laughs> I just don't think it's cool me talking about it. <laughs> um, but yeah, so choose your own exposition. I think that that could be a lot of fun too. Yeah. Um. I think that's primarily what we wanted to talk about today. I, I'll loop this back around and 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 just start where I started at the beginning of this section. Um, try to keep that middle shorter when you're doing exposition. So break it up into chunks. Have those missing holes. Um, have things that that the the players are actually interacting with, and so so they're like kind of continually reinventing the beginning of the story. Um, so. Focus on those having those strong intro and strong outro to your to your uh, exposition stories. I think it can help a lot along with all these other techniques that we've had. Uh, that's pretty much what I had. Anything else you wanted to add in? Nope. I was just going to revisit the uh, you know uh, voluptuous descriptions, right? Like big descriptions, <laughs> nice, tasty. I don't know. I, I, I was, yeah. <laughs> And, and and you can play like thematic music with it, and that would be yep. fun if you are just reading something. Um, but yeah, that's that's about all that I have. Great. Well, um, thanks for joining us again for another episode. We'll see you in a couple of weeks, and until then, 
Stay nerdy, Stay nerdy, friends. Thanks for joining us again. Make sure to share the show with friends to help grow our audience. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash becomingdm. On Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest, we are Becoming DM. And our website is becomingdm.com. Becoming DM is produced by John Welsh and Danielle Tremblay. The show is edited by John Welsh. We'll be back in two weeks. See you then.